Thank you. Good to see you here. I love the second service because I can go on till 2 or 3 or 4 o'clock. <laughs> you know, there's that clock keeps staring at you, and um, so it's, it's good to see you. Uh, I was a little concerned when announcements went out this week that I was speaking that uh, maybe nobody would show up. Uh, I'm an optimist because uh, uh, the tomb is empty, and I believe in the sovereign God, as you're going to hear in a few minutes. Uh, You know, an optimist is someone who says, these are the best of times. The pessimist says, I'm afraid you're right. (laughs) Think about that. Well, this morning, if you take the green sheet that you have, we're going to focus on getting it right when things go wrong. How many of you have had anything go wrong this past year? Okay, that's about... The two of you that didn't raise your hands, you must, either you're not among the living. You know, they say there are three types of people. There are those who make things happen, those who watch things happening, and those who don't even know anything's happening. So there are. And then, uh, how about uh, anyone have things go wrong this past month? Oh, it's been a good month then, right? How about this past week? I, I had a th- thing, not a major thing, but a thing go wrong on Friday. I sent Donna, the church secretary, an email on Thursday along to, with a copy to Pastor Van saying, here's a little email I'd like to have you send out to announce what I'm going to talk about this Sunday. And uh, would you uh, just send this out? So Donna, on Friday, sends it out. But she send, didn't just send out little, my message. She sent out my instructions to her. And then, of course, a few hours later, she sends out this, please disregard the first line of my last email announcement, as that was for my benefit, and I missed deleting it. Now, the beauty about that, see, I've been a lawyer for 40 years, a trial lawyer. And you know, and you've seen this in trials, when a judge says to the jury, you will disregard that statement. What did those jurors do? What did they say? What did they say? What, what, what am I supposed to disregard? Or when the, you know, the, a lawyer will move to strike something and the, the judge grants the motion to strike it and then instruct the jury, you will disregard that portion. And everybody, those jurors, man, they sit there. The one thing they will remember in going into that jury room are those things that they've been asked to forget. So when, when Donna says, disregard my email, I got people at least to go back and figure out what did she say that she wasn't supposed to say. So here we are. Now, whenever I speak, I have three goals. My first goal is to bear witness of Jesus Christ, because the last thing he said to us before his ascension was that you'll receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Uh, And this morning, I want to bear witness not only of what I've seen and heard and witnessed, but also share stories of lawyers around the world, what they have seen and heard, and so forth. The way Advocates International is structured, we've taken Acts 1-8, that verse I just quoted, and we encourage Christian lawyers around the world to meet locally. That's their Jerusalem. We have 700 cities and towns around the world where lawyers meet locally. That's L. O, L-O-R-D. O is organized nationally. There are 106 countries now where there are Christian lawyer groups organized to do religious freedom and human rights and, and, and that kind of work. In 1991, there were only two countries, U.S. and Canada. Now we have 106. The R is regional network. As you'll see, uh, if you pick up on the table in the back, 
we have this little what I call the cross piece. Last year we had a conference in Washington for a thousand lawyers from a hundred countries, and we every single region uh, has a a regional network. Advocates Africa is having their ninth Congress uh, in conference in a few weeks. Advocates Asia is having their ninth. Now, these are all regional groups, about 30 to 40 countries per continent, and that's the Samaria. So, Jerusalem, local meetings, organized nationally, that's Judea. Samaria is, is the regions, and then D is disciple globally. So, this morning, I'm going to share some, bear witness of Jesus Christ, what these lawyers have been doing around the world. Then the second goal here is to help you see things from a little different perspective. Uh, I'm, I didn't go to seminary. I've never had hermeneutics, homiletics, calisthenics, you know, all that kind of stuff. I, I went to law school 40 years ago, and I, I'm just uh, a storyteller. I connect the dots, and I'm going to connect the dots this morning to encourage you. We just sang some words and songs. By the way, um, the uh, Be Thou My Vision. You know how old that song is, Be Thou My Vision? That was written in the 8th century. Can you imagine 1,200 years later, we're singing something that was written in the 8th century. Of course, the 91st Psalm was written 3,000 years ago, and we're still singing uh, that, that psalm this morning. Now, we, read, we sang, praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Listen to these words, but so often we sing, and we just really don't think about the words. We sort of, it, it's, it, we're sort of numb. Let me read you what we just sang. Praise to the Lord, who o'er all things... So wondrously reigneth, shelters thee under his wings, yea, so gently sustaineth. Hast thou not seen how thy desires e'er have been granted in what he ordaineth? And then listen to this one. Praise to the Lord who doth prosper thy work and defend thee. Surely his goodness and mercy here daily attend thee. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he befriend thee. Well, this morning, we're going to ponder anew what God is doing. I've signed my letters for 25 years living in his story because I happen to believe that all the days ordained for me were written in his book before one of them came to be. Life is a story. If life is a story, there's an author to the story. There's adventure, drama, mystery, suspense. And the stories you're going to hear this morning will prove to you that there's a God who's engaged doing things that nobody could plan. Nobody could plan. So now let's take a look at the green sheet here. And, and if you turn to Psalm 37, there's no piece of scripture, no chapter in the Bible that I have used more often as a lawyer for, with Christians than Psalm 37. In fact, years ago, I memorized the whole chapter. My counsel, when Christians come to me and they have legal problems, family issues, financial issues, I say, go to Psalm 37 and park there for a month. Studied every day. So here's Psalm 37, verses 1 through 9. I'm reading from the New International Version. Do not fret because of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing, for evil men will be cut off 
but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Powerful, powerful words. You go home and read the rest of this chapter if you've got any kind of problems because it's very, very powerful. So, we start on a green sheet. I didn't do an acrostic this time, but uh, let me ask you, what do you do when, you, when, when things go wrong? Get angry, frustrated, discouraged? Feel like just walking away, throwing in a towel, hitting back, crying? Do you lose your faith, hope, love? Well, David, in this psalm, Psalm 37, gives us three, do, three don'ts and 12 do's, and I'd like to just go through them quickly and, and fill in with some stories. Start, first one, do not fret because of evildoers, and it says do not envy wrongdoers. The difference between evil doing and wrongdoing. Evil doing is when a kid takes a baseball and he throws it through a window. He intends to break the window. That's evil doing. He intends harm. Wrongdoing is a kid who just hits the ball and he goes farther in the wrong direction. It veers off and it breaks a window. The window's broken, both stories. But his motive was not to break the window. So evildoers intend harm and evil. Wrongdoers cause harm. Maybe it's the same amount of harm, but it's not their motive. So David says, don't fret because of evildoers. 1991, in January 1991, I visited Moscow for the first time, the Soviet Union, in a remarkable way, a series of events that got me there. And while I, at that time, I was head of the Christian Legal Society, a group of 4,500 Christian lawyers and judges in the United States. I'd been involved in some 50 cases in the U.S. Supreme Court on religious liberty in the 1980s. And in Moscow, one Friday morning over breakfast, I said to a friend, I hope I meet a Christian lawyer before I go home. Well, this is the Soviet Union. To be a lawyer in the Soviet Union, you had to be a communist, a Marxist, an atheist. And here I'm wishing and hoping to meet a Christian lawyer. Foolish. An hour later, I met Natalia. And Natalia came to this meeting uh, totally unannounced. And she told me how she got there, which was another story I won't repeat this morning. So I went out to lunch with Natalia. And she had just that week launched a prison ministry, legal aid program for inmates. She'd been a lawyer for about 25 years. Her husband had been killed by the secret police, the KGB. And here she was wanting to represent Russian inmates. She also wanted to get Bibles into Russian prisons, which was unheard of. And then she wanted to provide food and clothing and medicine for inmates. And I said, Natalia, this is incredible, but isn't this dangerous? And she said, Sam, the worst they can do is kill me. You know, when you meet those kind of people, you want to do whatever you can. And I've been supporting Natalia for the last 18 years. One of the greatest blessings from Natalia is I met her son, Nikki, two days later. And this is the only time I've done this. I've traveled 2 million miles to 60 countries. I've never invited anyone to come to the United States. But Nikki, there was something about Nikki that I invite. I invited him to come to the U.S., he went to Geneva College and George Mason University. He's now one of the top engineers for Dell Computers. And he supports his mom. Now, his mom, over the last 18 years, with a very small... She was earning like $100 a month. With a very small staff of volunteers, she has responded to over 20,000 letters from prison inmates. She has filed over 3,000 appeals on behalf of Russian inmates. She has reduced over 4,000 years of prison terms, and she and two other women lawyers derailed capital punishment in, in Russia. Is that pretty good for one woman? Is that worth the investment? You know, this church has supported advocates for the last seven years, $300 a month. And Natalia is one of those that we enable. Now, a few years ago, we wired her $3,000 to her bank account. 
She went to collect her $3,000 for her ministry. And uh, the bank says, uh, we're bankrupt. We have no money. And she said, wait a minute. This is my money. Where's my money? And and, and, uh, they said, well, we don't have any money. Now, did she fret? No. See, Natalia has a combination of Margaret Thatcher. Some of you remember the Iron Lady, the Prime Minister of England. Tough. But she's got the heart of Mother Teresa for the inmates. I was in prison and you visited me. So she started writing letters. And just like the widow that Jesus talked about in, in terms of prayer, she didn't quit. She kept writing. She developed a little folder about that thick. And one day the president of the bank calls her up and said, Natalia, come on in here. I want to talk to you. And then when she, she met with him, she said, he said, we have two trucks that we just took from a company that couldn't pay their, their loan to the bank. Two trucks full of medicines, blankets, boots, clothing. We have no place to put it. If you would take those off our hand, can we call this even? And she said, absolutely. When I talked to her next, she said, Sam... The value of those medicines, the boots and the blankets, was between fifty to $100,000. Remember Jesus talked about 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold return? She had at least a 30-fold return. See, this is, do not fret, because the Lord is sovereign. He's in control. So that's, that's do not fret. Now, do not envy. By the way, Nikki has also, he's our Russian son, uh, and uh, he's provided two Russian grandchildren that we have. Alexei and Anya. So we have uh, sort of a multi, an international family here. Number two, do not envy wrongdoers. I've been to Bulgaria 23 times. Bulgaria was a 16th Soviet Republic under the, the years of communism. It was so harsh in terms of its anti-Christian, anti-religion added, uh, laws and policies. It was viewed as the 16th Soviet Republic. I met Lacho there in, in 1994. Lacho has been in this church many times. And Latcho and I started the Rule of Law Institute to help the church in, in, Al- in the Bulgaria uh, to get religious freedom. Today, on the scale of 1 to 10, the evangelical leaders tell me that on the scale of 1 to 10, 1 being hell, 10 being heaven, I was told it's 9.5, Sam, it's, this is not heaven yet. But that's good, pretty good progress. Now, Bul- uh, Latcho has been working with lawyers. He started with four. He now has 200 lawyers. And a few years ago, uh, there was a major split in the Orthodox Church. In former communist countries, the Orthodox Church, like in Russia, uh, is the dominant church. And there was a group of Bulgarians that did not want to follow the patriarch that the, that the Soviet Union, Moscow, had put in charge as the patriarch for the Bulgarian Orthodox Church. And so when freedom came to Bulgaria in 1989, this group of about 100 churches decided to leave the Orthodox Church to have their own patriarch, somebody who was really believed, and uh, someone in the faith. And to make a long story short, this has created conflict. And five years ago, the police came into 107 churches, confiscated the properties, padlocked the churches, kicked out the priests, kicked out the pastors, and for five years, these folks have had no place to worship. The only lawyer in Bulgaria willing to take this case on was Lacho. He's an evangelical, representing the Orthodox. He got no in the Bulgarian courts, Supreme Court of Bulgaria, no. Then he finally took it to the European Court of Human Rights in, in Strasbourg, France. And in January this year, the U- European Court of Human Rights said to the Bulgarian government, you're wrong, <laughs> give the properties back. The value of those properties, the 100 properties, according to court expert, was $1 billion. 
Now that may be overstated, but you take a look at our property here that we have. This is worth maybe four to five million. Can you imagine uh, if, if the state, some government in the United States took 107 properties, would we want an advocate? And so Lacho has, has got that, and he's now trying to make sure that the Bulgarian government abides by the decision. I've known Lacho for 15 years. He never envies the wrongdoer. Now, envying is an interesting emotion. You know, part of that envying is, I, if I was president this way, if I was in control, if I was dad, if I was mom, if I was the pastor, if, I, if, 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 if I had this money, it's, it's this if. No, that's not the issue. The issue is not what you can do if things were different. The issue is what are you doing with the opportunities that you have. And Lacho has been one who I've never heard him envy and I've never heard him, heard him fret in 15 years. Move on. Refrain from anger. In verse 8, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. You heard, you've heard people say, I'm so, I'm so mad I could kill that person. Have you heard that statement? I am so mad. Well, see, if you let, allow fretting, the seething anger, eat away at you, you can get to the point where eventually you'll kill that person. It happens. It happens. And David says, do not fret. It leads to evil doing. In Mongolia, where I've been five times, I, in 1997, I met a young lawyer, 22 years old, just graduated from law school. He'd been a Christian for two years, and he wanted to start a Christian lawyer group to do religious freedom work, human rights, represent widows, do reconciliation work, work with law students. This fellow had thought up the Christian Legal Society model, which we had been working on in the United States for 40 years. And when I met him and what he, saw what he was doing, I decided to start supporting him. And we've been supporting Basin Hu for the last 12 years. 20 years ago in Mongolia, which is located between Russia and China, you don't want to be landlocked and stuck between Russia and China. Mongolia is three times the size of Texas. It has three million horses and two and a half million Mongolians. And it gets down to about 20 to 30 degrees below zero in January and February, sort of the average time. It's, it's cold, it's huge. And uh, 20 years ago, not one Mongolian Christian national, as far as we know. Today, there are 80,000. And a large reason for that is because Basin Hu and his little team have been representing churches in getting them registered, missions, Campus Crusade, a lot of mission groups and agencies and missionaries from all over the world. And this has generated a lot of hostility among the Buddhists. Uh, the Buddhist priests are saying there are 200 new churches here in Mongolia and there are no new Buddhist temples. We have to shut down. There are too many new churches. So Basin Hu has been on the front lines of fighting this battle. And recently, uh, there have been Russian officials and, that have been trying to disbar to take away his law license. Even some Christian brothers were criticizing him, saying, hey, Basinu, if you would just be quiet, we wouldn't have these problems. But with friends like that, who needs enemies, right? And so he sent me an email recently and said, Sam, on Friday I'm going in for a hearing. They could, you know, I could, they could arrest me and take my license away, so please pray. He was never angry. He, he, was, he just wanted prayer. Well, I knew a former Supreme Court justice from Mongolia. His name was Ganzorik. I'd worked with him back in the late 1997, 98, 99. Then he came to the United States, went to American University here in Washington, D.C. to get his master's degree in law. I had lent him our daughter's bicycle, sitting in the garage, going nowhere. He needed a bike to travel around D.C. instead of a car. 
So for five years, he's traveling using my bicycle. And uh, then he graduated, and, he's in, and I sort of lost track of him. So I sent him an email. Gonzorik, I need your help. Boston, who's got some problems, please, please call me. He sends me an email back and says, Dear Sam, I'm in Mongolia. I'm the new legal advisor to the, to the new president of Mongolia who went to Harvard. I'll check this thing out and see what I can do. Now here, I thought Gonzorik was in Washington, D.C. He's in Mongolia. Now, who put him there? I didn't put him there. The next day, I get an email from Boston saying, all the charges are dropped. See, this is, this is the way God works. Refrain from anger. Okay, those are the don'ts. Let's move on to some do's. Trust in the Lord. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate. Enjoy, enjoy safe pasture. Nineteen in, in a few weeks, I hope to go back to Beijing, China for... Uh, my 13th visit. This is part of the World Evangelical Alliance. I've been their lawyer for 20 years. Uh, and to go back with a group of about 20 of the leaders from the World Evangelical Alliance, if, my, if, if it's healthy for me to do that. I'll come to that a little bit later. The first time I really had any contact with the Chinese was in 1997 when the State Department called me up and asked me if I would, would like to meet the Director General of the Religious Affairs Bureau of China. The Religious Affairs Bureau is the organization that oversees religious activities in China. And when I was invited to meet him I, and asked whether I was interested, I said, does, uh, uh, does uh, uh, the baseball player with the, with the Orioles who, made that, uh, who had that streak of 2,500 games? Yes. Uh, <laughs> Does, he, does um, Cal Ripken want to play in tonight's ballgame? That's what I answered. So, of course. So what I did the next day, I, I got a hold of a red van from a friend, and I had a red van, two red vans, color-coordinated for Red China. And I'm showing Mr. Yi and his entourage around Washington, talking about the golden rule. Jesus said to treat others the way you want to be treated sums up the law. Confucius said, do not treat others the way you don't want to be treated. Buddha said, don't harm others in a way that would be harmful to yourself. So I'm talking about the golden rule, and Mr. Yi was really liking this in his staff. In fact, by the end of the day, I was Uncle Sam. And see, Mr. Yi was proud of being an atheist, so I referred to him as O Yi of Little Faith. And by the end of the day, he said, hey, if you're in Beijing, uh, next time you're in Beijing, let's, let's get together again. So six weeks later, I'm in Beijing, and I go to the Great Hall of the People. He takes us to lunch. The Great Hall of the People, that's their capital building. It's got an auditorium that seats 5,000 people. And uh, he took me to, and the Chinese, I'll tell you, the Chinese know how to put on a spread. They really put on good food. My goodness, this lazy Susan and the waiters and waitresses that just keep coming in. And here we were, 10 of us, had a great meal overlooking Tenement Square in Beijing. And I said, Mr. Yi, what if the uh, 10 of us wanted to have a Bible study right here, right after lunch? Could we do that or would, you know, would we have to get permission? Oh, no, no problem. I said, if we're all Chinese citizens, because he, there's a different standard if foreigners are involved. But if we're all Chinese citizens, fine. So I said, well, that's interesting. That's not what we understand in the West. What about if the 10 of us wanted to have a Bible study in my home every Wednesday night? We're all Chinese citizens, no foreigners. And then they started talking about numbers. You hear a lot about house churches. Have you heard the term house church in China? Well, when I think of a house church, and you probably think it the same way, a house church is a church like a Bible study, 10, 15, 20 people, right? Well, see, a house church in China may have 10,000 people. It's, it's an unregistered church. I would never call it a house church. It's an unregistered church. So I was just trying to get the right 
for, the, for Christians to meet for Bible studies because for the first 325 years, the church didn't have any church buildings. We went from what? House to house. So I wanted to lock down this right to meet in homes. And so I said to, to Mr. Yee, what if you know, what, they meet in our home and they start talking about their numbers? Yeah, 10, 15, 25, no problem. So I said, wonderful. Would you give that to me in writing? See, I'm a lawyer. Talk is cheap. Give it to me in writing. Yeah. I, would, would you give it to me in Chinese and English? He said, yes. And then he said, would you like to have it on China State Council stationery? That's like the White House stationery. Thank you. That was August 26, 1997. I became a U.S. citizen on August 26, 1966. I'm a Swedish immigrant. Important, most important lunch of my life. Two months later, he sends me an email. Mr. Erickson, check our website. And if you check the website today on, on, uh, and, and for the uh, China, China State Council on white paper on religious freedom for, for China, you'll find a 14-page document. Most of it's propaganda. All governments aren't the propaganda. But there is a sentence in there that says, there's no registration required for Christians meeting for Bible studies and prayer in their homes. Is that a big win? Is that a big win? There were 3 million Christians in China in 1980. Today, there are about 140 million. The greatest revival and growth of the church in history has happened in China the last 30 years. The future of the church may be China. So that's, now I go back there in a few weeks and I hope to meet up with Mr. Yi, who's been promoted to cabinet level in China. So trust in the Lord and then do good. Do good. A few years ago, you may remember that there was a Christian uh, Afghan who had gone to Germany, became a Christian. He returned home in 2006 uh, to Afghanistan after the war uh, had been concluded, or whatever it was at that point in time. And his family found out that he had converted to Christianity. In Muslim countries, Islamic countries, a conversion away from Islam to Christianity is a capital offense. You can, you can be executed for that. And he was arrested, and they were going to put, put him on trial. Uh, the U.S. government and others objected, and uh, I didn't have the authority to you know, write letters to judges, so I decided to file what's called a friend of the court brief. A friend of the court is something that lawyers can file with courts just to say, Your Honor, please consider these points. And I talked about the golden rule, and I mentioned in there that in recent times there's not one person who has been executed in a Muslim country after a court order. Not one. There have been Christians that have been killed in Muslim countries. It happens all the time. But by court order, not one. So please don't be the first. My friend of the court letter went to the court, and then I sent a copy to the U.S. ambassador of Afghanistan. His name was Ron Newman. See, Ron Newman and I sat next to each other in 1962 in high school physics class in Venice High School, West Los Angeles. Now, isn't it wonderful that I planned to have Ron Newman serve for one year as a U.S. ambassador to Afghanistan so that I could intervene on behalf of Abdul Rahman? See, that's the kind of God we have. He's the kind of God that is engaged. And sometimes we just fret, and we, we worry, and when things seem to go wrong. So Abdul Rahman was sent to Italy. I can't take credit for that because he was probably, the decision may have been made before they got my letter, but there were several others who had been arrested that were going to go to trial, and they've all been released. So trust in the Lord. God is in control. We move on. Do good. That's preventing the execution. Dwell in the land. You know, it's easy to drop out. It's easy not to be involved. We're facing some huge issues in the United States. 
And the issue, we're supposed to be salt and light. We can write letters. We can do things on, on issues. As I mentioned in May when I spoke to you last, uh, the, uh, eight, the day after President Obama was inaugurated, eight attorney generals from New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Michigan, Illinois, California, and Oregon filed a lawsuit against the U.S. government to rescind the rights of conscience protection for doctors, nurses, and hospitals that refuse either to perform abortions or make referrals. Can you imagine the government stripping the license of a Catholic hospital because they refused to perform abortions or refused to make referrals? That's called the loss of your freedom. So these eight attorney generals had filed a lawsuit against the U.S. government to rescind this rights of conscience protection. The problem with that lawsuit, lawyers call this a sweetheart lawsuit, because the Obama administration, their number three person, has been the leading advocate for abortion for the last 20 years. They would like to have the same rights eliminated for doctors and nurses. So they're not going to really put up a, a good defense. So we have intervened in that case so that doctors and nurses and hospitals do not have to perform abortions at, this, at the fear of, of losing their license and that they don't have to make referrals. Be in prayer for that case because that is you know, dwelling in the land. And, and why do we get involved in U.S. cases? We have set up each continent has an area of responsibility. For instance, Advocates Asia, 40 countries, oversees religious liberty work. Advocates Africa, with 40 countries, oversees reconciliation and conflict resolution work. The United States, or North America, oversees life and family because we are on the cutting edge of these life and family issues. Latin America oversees justice for the poor, uh, and Europe oversees rule of law. So we are engaged, Advocates North America, Advocates International, we're involved in this country, in these issues, because this is what North America takes the lead on. Enjoy safe pasture. Cultivate faithfulness. Uh, I mentioned in, February, in May that uh, President Obama, on March 9th, made a statement, uh, had a press conference that... Uh, they were going to use federal funds to fund em human embryo creation for experimentation and destruction. The federal law right now, it's been in our books for a long time, you cannot use federal tax dollars to create human embryos. A human embryo is not a cat, a dog, an elephant, or a giraffe. It's a human embryo. And the law is clear. You cannot use federal tax dollars for this purpose. But President Obama announced on March 9th that he's, going to inst he's instructing National Institute of Health to come out with regulations to allow for human embryo creation, destruction, and experimentation. Uh, we filed objections to 113 pages in the, of objections. There were 40,000 objections filed to those proposed regulations. Under law, the administration was supposed to post those 40,000 objections. They didn't post one. They just proceeded on June, June 7th. They proceeded with their plan. And on August 19th, a few weeks ago, we filed a lawsuit saying to the Obama administration, the law is the law. If you want to change the law, change the law. But the law is you cannot use federal tax dollars to create human embryos and then destroy them. Pray for that. Tomorrow we're going to hear the U.S. government's reply or answer to our complaint. Number six, or five, delight in the Lord. One of the most remarkable people I've met in my life is a woman lawyer named Teresa Conradi. She's been in this church. She shared a few years ago in our Sunday school class. Teresa is, is just remarkable. South Africa has had the apartheid policies for almost 50 years. It was the worst 
racial discrimination policy of any country in the world. And after Nelson Mandela was released, after 26 years in prison, uh, apartheid was, was, was removed. And Teresa started the first biracial law firm in South Africa. She also started the Christian Lawyer Association of South Africa. She became president of the Advocates Africa. Now think about this. She's a white South African Afrikaner woman. And she has been unanimously elected by three, four hundred black African mostly male lawyers. Can you imagine? For, for four years, she, a white Afrikaner, that shows the kind of, she's, she's just an incredible woman. When you sit in a room with her and she starts praying, you feel like God is sitting right next to her. She just has this power. And a few years ago, she got word uh, that uh, the city that she lives in, Pretoria, was going to shut down uh, a, a uh, home for infants and children that had AIDS or were orphaned because they'd lost their parents. And they'd given them 30 days' notice to get out of this orphanage. And, of course, this, this was not good. And, you know, so delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. She noticed in the article that the woman that was uh, the assistant to the, to the man who controlled these leases uh, was a former classmate of hers from high school 20 years earlier. So she calls up this gal and says, hey, how are you? This is Teresa. Oh, good to hear. You know, a little chit-chat, small talk, family, career, da-da-da-da. And then... Uh, she said, I just read this article about shutting down this orphanage. And, you know, I'm, I'm head of uh, Christian Lawyer Association, which has a very good reputation in South Africa for really getting the job done. And uh, could you check with your boss to see if there's a way out of this thing? Because this just really bothers us. Will do. Next day, her friend calls her up and she says, Teresa, all taken care of, no eviction. That was seven years ago. They're still in the house. See, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. No question. Then we move on. Commit your ways to the Lord, promoting justice and integrity in Albania. I've been in Albania 23 times. My friend Rajesh Rard has been there 38 times. We put on about 17 conferences in Albania for judges and others. In October, we're putting on a conference with Josh McDowell uh, about ethics and integrity. We've got business leaders judiciary, politicians, religious leaders coming to hear Josh McDowell and some other leading people from the United States talking about ethics and integrity. Now, Albania was the North Korea of Europe. In 1967, the dictator declared, if you have a Bible in your possession or a cross, you will go to prison for 10 years. We've had a man in our home from Albania who spent 26 years in prison because he was Roman Catholic. Well, Enver Hoxha died in 1984. Today, Enver Hoxha's former official residence is Grace Church of Tirana and houses the first evangelical seminary in the history of Albania, planted there by John MacArthur and Grace Community Church, where Bobby and I worshipped for 10 years back in the 70s. Can you imagine going from uh, the dictator's house declaring atheism to be the official religion to a, a place where his house is now an evangelical seminary? That doesn't just happen. Let me tell you a quick story about Albania. One of these conferences, the Chief Justice asked us to, to provide robes. Well, robes today, judicial robes, cost $1,000 a pop. In those days, it was about 500. I didn't have $150,000 to spend on robes. So in any event, my friend Roger in Seattle started looking around churches, and he found that churches who had redecorated you know, their, their main sanctuary, black was no longer color-coordinated. So they had these, these black choir robes 
sitting in their, their closets, gathering dust. So he got 200 of them together, got them over to Albania for this judicial conference. We needed 294, but we only had 200. And so Roger was making plans about, well, we'll just give them to the judges coming from these out, outskirts, and we'll just hold off on giving the, the judges in Tehran, the capital, give those to them later. A few hours before graduation on Wednesday, the contact person we had at the U.S. Embassy got a, got a message that she needed to go to the airport. She went to the airport and came back to the conference with 94 black choir robes from some church in Pennsylvania. To this day, it was not 93 or 95. We needed 94, and we had 94 choir robes so that we could give 294 judges their own American judicial robe. They think they're judicial robes, but some of them are probably wondering why the little tag in the back has Sylvia crossed out and then Abby crossed out, or Bill and Bob, you know. Now, tell me, who takes credit for that? Who takes credit for that? I shipped a, 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 a crate full of books over there. It took me one year to get it to Albania. And this arrived two hours before graduation. That's my God. So don't fret. Don't worry. Now, moving on. Be still before the Lord. You know, one of the things that we tend to do when things go wrong is we just have to rush, rush, rush. And I said, no, let's slow down. Now, Nepal is a country between China on the north and India on the, in, 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 below it. It's the only Hindu, it's the only officially Hindu nation in the world. If you convert from Hinduism to another religion, you can go to jail. That's Nepal. And uh, back uh, several years ago, uh, I had been invited to go to Pakistan and then to Vietnam. And so I told my secretary, okay, here's the itinerary. We go to some countries in Europe and then Turkey and then Pakistan and then India and then to Vietnam and so forth. And I, I, I left the office to go downtown for a meeting in Washington, D.C. I got to my car, didn't have any quarters for the parking meter, so I went back into my office. My secretary says, Simon Peter is on the, call, on the phone. Simon Peter, hey, not bad, connected. <laughs> so I pick up the phone, see Simon Peter is a Nepalese pastor that I'd met a few weeks earlier, and he calls up and says, hey Sam, I just met with the prime minister, you know, he went to Harvard like you, he wants to meet you. We have issues here in Nepal, can you come to Nepal? And I said, Simon Peter, I just told my secretary to arrange for me to go to Turkey, Pakistan, India, and Vietnam, so I'll add Nepal. I can sort of parachute in Mount Everest, you know. And so I'll, 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 yeah, I'll be there. So I arrive in Nepal, Kathmandu, the capital. And we're on our way over to the prime minister's office. And uh, he said, uh, Sam, I need a favor. I've been trying to register our group, the Evangelical Alliance, for several years. Red tape, stonewalling, bureaucracy. I can't get any movement on this. Please ask the prime minister to register us. I said, Simon Peter, my approach is always to be a servant. How can I serve you? I never, never ask for a favor for, from any leader. I believe that every person in position of authority, according to Romans 13, is there by God's allowance or God's design. So let's not, let's not push it. He says, Sam, you've got to help. And I said, be still. Slow down. Slow down. Let's see how this thing goes. So we go into the prime minister's office after the introductions. And, and then I said, Mr. Prime Minister, how can I serve you? See, what he doesn't realize is we had an office of one lawyer and three secretaries. That's not exactly power. But I'm tied in to the source. Yeah. 
And so I said, um, he said, well, Mr. Erickson, you are aware that we have 50,000 refugees from Bhutan, uh, and uh, there are thousands of them that are sick. We need medical help. And I said, well, I know Christian Medical and Dental Society in the United States, and, and they do a lot of uh, work, you know, short-term missions. I can contact them. There are other groups that I can work with. Uh, so I'll, I'll do what I can. Now, Mr. Prime Minister, it would be very good to have a Nepalese organization that we could interface with, you know. And, and, and right now, Simon Peter tells me that for the last several years, he's been trying to get his little organization registered, you know, bureaucracy, red tape. If it's possible for you to register his group, then we can have a group to talk to. So Mr. Erickson, consider it done. 108 lawyers, 108 doctors and nurses went to Nepal, spent two weeks there, helped 8,000 refugees, passed out thousands of Bibles, and the prime minister was so impressed so grateful that he allowed Simon Peter to go on national television at Christmas time to share the gospel and a Christmas story in Nepal. See, we just, you commit your way to the Lord, be still before the Lord. Hey, God is there. He's engaged. Instead, we're sort of running around. Woe was me. No, we had pity parties. The only problem with, two problems with pity parties. We're the only ones partying and no one brings refreshments. <laughs> now, move on. Be still. Wait patiently for him. We're coming down. Hey, we'll, we'll, we'll get, get done here in short order. Wait on the Lord patiently. Wait patiently for him. The Orthodox Church has 15 national groups, Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Bulgarian Orthodox. They have their own sort of national popes. And there's one, the ecumenical patriarch, oversees the rest of the globe, like North America, South America, Australia, and so forth. His name is Bartholomew II. A few years ago, I was invited to, uh, I was asked if I would like to meet the, the ecumenical patriarch, and I said, would I like to meet the Pope? You know, of course. So he arranged for me to meet with him in Istanbul, Turkey. Uh, I figured I'd have five minutes with this very important person. I spent five hours with him. And so I asked him, how can I serve you, sir, your holiness, your high holiness? That's their term. And... Uh, he said, well, 20 years ago, the Turks shut down my seminary. I can't, I can't train pastors. So I said, is that all you need? And, and, and uh, he said, yes. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll do what I can. I flew to Ankara, Turkey. Figured I could take care of this over breakfast, right? The Turks and the Greeks had been at each other's throats for 1,200 years. And I wasn't going to resolve it in five visits. And so I figured that was sort of a, an effort that bore no fruit until December 4th, 2001, six years later. Now I needed to go to Bulgaria and to Albania, and in order to get through to those countries, I had to have a flyover and stay over in Athens, Greece, at the airport, or, or in Athens. And so I told my secretary, here, make these plans one day in Athens, Greece, on December 4th, 2001. Uh, the next day I get an email from our lawyer in Greece saying, Sam, I'm the lawyer representing 15 Pentecostals who have been arrested for passing out Christian literature, Christian magazines, and, and Bibles. And they're going on trial December 4. Can you come and be our expert witness? And I said, dear Vasilius, yesterday I made plans to go to Bulgaria and then to fly to Athens, and I'm going to be there all day December 4th. Now, who's in control of my schedule? So on December 4th, I arrived, and we drove out to the trial, and this was in a courtroom with about 100 people. There were 30 Orthodox priests with their black robes and their black hats and, and, uh, 
the, uh, the judges, the three-judge panel was not going to allow me to be a witness, an expert witness, but finally Vesalius prevailed, and the judge says, Erickson gets four minutes, no sermon. Well, I never went to seminary, so, you know, I'm, I'm not going to give a sermon. So I start off by saying, Your Honor, thank you for allowing me to be here. I'm a Swedish immigrant. I was born in Sweden. Okay, you pull out your credentials. My dad was a Swedish Pentecostal pastor. John Ashcroft, the Attorney General of the United States, is Pentecostal. There are 280 million Pentecostals in the world. I've traveled to Ankara, Turkey, five times to help ecumenical patriarch Bartholomew II get his seminary reopened. When I said that, you could hear a pin drop. They're saying, why would an American evangelical son of a Pentecostal pastor, why would he waste his time going to Ankara helping the Orthodox who refer to evangelicals as anathema because we're sheep stealers? After I sat down and asked for religious liberty for everybody, equal treatment, the prosecutor started interrogating each one of the 15 Pentecostals, starting with a pastor, and said, Pastor, why did you leave the Greek Orthodox Church? And he said, well, it was not fulfilling. It was, I had an emptiness in my heart, and then I met Jesus, and Jesus changed my life. What do you mean Jesus changed your life? Would you please explain to this court what you mean when you say Jesus changed your life? And so then he did, and he sat down. The wife, his wife gets up there. Now, why did you leave the Orthodox Church? And she said, well, when I saw the change in my husband and, and, and his whole life, man, I wanted the same things. And when I accepted Jesus, it changed my life. Would you explain to this court, ma'am, what you mean by Jesus changing your life? Their 22-year-old son was number three. He said, when I saw my parents, the change in their lives, man, I wanted Jesus too. All 15, for one hour, we had 15 testimonies. And these, these 15 or 30 Orthodox priests had to sit through 15 testimonies. And at the end, this, this, the prosecutor said, Your Honor, it's, I'm embarrassed that we brought this case. And then the judge went down, name by name, acquitted, 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 all 15. And when that final gavel came down, you couldn't find an Orthodox priest within 10 miles of that courtroom. <laughs> now, the reason I mentioned, see, I thought that I had gone to Ankara to help the ecumenical patriarch. It turned out that I'd gone to Ankara five times in order to have a four-minute talk to mention that I'd helped the Greek Orthodox Church. By the way, helping the Greek Orthodox Church in Ankara cost me $100,000 because there were some very rich evangelicals that felt I was helping the enemy. See, there's a price to stand up. So commit your way to the Lord, be still before the Lord, wait patiently, and finally hope in the Lord. I was sick. Here we have the very last verse. It says, For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Very quickly, 10 years ago last month, I had the shock of my life. I'd been healthy all my life. I'd, I hadn't been sick a day of my life except childhood diseases, you know? And then I found out from my doctor that I had the largest mass of bladder cancer that my doctor had seen in 30 years. It was 20 times larger than typical. Medically, there was no hope. And so what do you do when there's no hope, according to the medical? Hey, you find out, is there a better alternative to this? I should have died nine years ago, but I'm here. Do I look pretty alive? Yes. Let me tell you, what I do now is I minister to people who are f facing serious illness. I wrote a newsletter in August. It's, it's in, your, in your bulletin. You can take it. Here's what I want you to do with it. 
I want you to read it. I've, I've summed up 10 lessons learned over the last 10 years. Very important. On the back side of the yellow sheet are the 14 best sources that I know. There's one that just came out the day we mailed this, this mailing out, Living Food Cures, which has my story in there, 11 testimonies by people with all sorts of problems, including prostate cancer, throat, MS, lupus, bipolar, brain, stomach, breast, arthritis, melanoma, and bladder. All of them. I have met hundreds and hundreds of people that are cured from cancer and other diseases by changing their lifestyle. Read my letter and then don't stop there. Jesus said, I was sick and you looked after me. I get more pleasure. I've been a lawyer for 40 years, but I get more pleasure helping, talking to people who are terminally ill. I have had five close friends in the last three weeks. One, ovarian cancer, brain cancer, prostate cancer, breast cancer. They call me up. And it's a great feeling to be able to say there is an alternative to the chemo, the radiation, the drugs. Here's, here's the, pass it on. So read this, pass it on to somebody that you know is sick, because there are great resources. And then I gave you this little card. When things go wrong, that's because not only did I have bladder cancer 10 years ago, but seven years ago, I, or six years ago, I fell and broke seven ribs, punctured my right lung. Greatest fall in my life, because a few days later I discovered that the cancer had gone to my left lung. If I hadn't fallen and broken seven ribs and punctured my right lung, I would never have discovered the lung cancer and I would have died. See, God knows every step. You know, we, we read about that, that he knows every step. And I made a million of these cards in 24 languages, Arabic, Chinese, Hindi, uh, Hebrew, Spanish, and we've distributed a million of these cards. I'm giving you one. You can put it in your wallet or you can share it with somebody who's having a tough time. The thing you can't do, you cannot do if you follow Jesus, you can't throw it away. If you're faithful in a very small matter, Jesus said, you can take charge of 10 cities. So when things go wrong, what do you do when things go wrong? You don't fret, you don't get angry, you don't envy, you, you trust the Lord, you commit your way to the Lord, you dwell in the land, you hope, and you do those things. You live in Psalm 37. And I can guarantee you that you will have a life that is just incredible. As you see God work every single day. I see God work every single day without exception. You know when I see him first? When I wake up. Because the one thing you can't do is wake yourself up. If you set your alarm clock and God intends for you to die, your alarm clock will go off. The only person who wakes you up every morning is God. And when God wakes you up, this is what I say. Thank you, God, for the gift of one more life, one more day. Let the adventure begin. Because walking with Christ is an adventure. It's a mystery. And there's no need for us to worry. Who cares who's in the White House? Who cares who's in the Supreme Court? Who cares who's in the Congress? We should care. We pray for those in leadership. And then we do our part. Because there is someone who is the sovereign King of kings, Lord of Lords. And he's the one that drives this whole thing. And we need to serve him. Thank you so much for listening.